What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome to a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. We're recording this. On another dreary Atlanta evening, because every day is basically dreary these days because Atlanta is Seattle, but thankfully there is good news on the way because Stu Cohen of the Montreal Gazette is here. Stu, good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am good. I'm good. I'm glad uh, we're able to do this. Um, The Canadians, they are doing stuff right now. They certainly are. They've been probably one of the biggest surprises in the NHL this season. Uh, they had a chance to move ahead of the Toronto Maple Leafs the other night. If they had beaten them at the Bell Center, they ended up losing in overtime. But uh, they're only two points behind them, uh, solidly in a playoff spot. And at the beginning of the season, people were talking about the Maple Leafs winning the Stanley Cup in Toronto. And people in Montreal were talking about how terrible the Canadians were and how there was no chance they were going to make the playoffs. So uh, what a difference a year's made for this team. Yeah, I mean, the Maple Leafs are, I mean, they were able to lock up Austin Matthews on a very good team-friendly contract and i mean we'll see what happens with their other rfa and they had the weird stuff with nylander to start the year but looks like kyle dubas the 22 year old gm there has got them in the uh, they're gonna be okay i'm not really worried about the maple Leafs. i will say it seems like john Tavares maybe going to the maple Leafs was bad for like his notoriety because i feel like i have not heard anything about john Tavares all year long right is well, that not that- weird that's because you're in the States and Canada. That's all you hear about. Really? <laughs> the, uh, the okay. TSN Sports Network here, which uh, a lot of Montrealers prefer to call the Toronto Sports Network, <laughs> sort of uh, Canada's version of ESPN, but it's very Toronto-centric. Uh, there's uh, he, there's so much John Tavares news on there, it's unbelievable. So maybe it's just a case of it doesn't trickle, uh, trickle down below the border. But uh, up here in Canada, people in Toronto – can't get enough of John Tavares and people in the rest of Canada have had too much of him, I think in a lot of places, but uh, no, he's performed. I mean, he's come through and he's performed uh, very well, scored the winning goal against the Canes the other night in overtime. So uh, you know, big off season signing for the Maple Leafs and he's worked out well. So the Canadians made a trade and they traded for Nate Thompson from the Los Angeles Kings. Why did the Canadians make this kind of move right now? Well, the two biggest problems on the Canadians this season that have really, and they stood out against the Leafs, are their power play, which has been dreadful. It's the second worst in the NHL. Tampa's, uh, sorry, Nashville's the only team that's worse. And their fourth line's been really bad also. Their fourth line was on the ice for the first two goals. Uh, 
against uh, the Leafs the other night. And one thing Coach Cole Julian hates is having his fourth line give up goals. He doesn't really care if they do score, uh, but hates it when they give up goals. And they've been giving up goals, and not only that, they haven't scored a goal. The Fort Kane's fourth line hasn't scored a goal in 18 games. So uh, they needed something. They needed a guy who could win faceoffs. He does that. Uh, they needed some size. He's a big guy also. And uh, coupling with the other trade they made Saturday where they got Dale Weiss, a former Canadian from the Flyers, uh, those two guys will be on their fourth line, I'm sure, on Thursday night when they play in Nashville. So that's uh, their Mark version is hoping those two guys will solve that problem in the power play. Well, it continues to be uh, a mystery to this team. as uh, They have the talent, but for whatever reason, they just can't put the puck in the net when they're on the power play. So why do you think they're struggling on the power play? I think they don't have enough guys going in front of the net. I think they're passing the puck too much. They're uh, not shooting enough. They're trying to be too fancy. Uh, they're having problems even getting into the zone. Uh, once they do get into the zone, it's a case of just passing and passing and passing. They have, I think, too many guys who think pass first, shoot second, and they don't have enough guys going in front of the net. So they've started to tinker with it a little bit the last few games. They've had a little bit more success. They actually got a power play goal against the Leafs. But uh, moving forward, if they can't get the power play going, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to be their demise in the end. I mean, it was against the Leafs. Uh, they had a four, uh, a five on four power play for four minutes in the first period. Uh, the other night they got one shot on goal, and they started the overtime and uh, also on the power play four and three, and they couldn't generate anything. So you know those two missed opportunities ended up costing them in the end. And uh, if they can't get the power play clicking better, it's going to continue to cost them moving forward. Is wise the one player away that Mark uh, Bergevin was uh, referring to when he was talking about the team not being one player away from uh, competing for a Stanley Cup title? <laughs> no, no, I mean, Bergevin, so. Bergevin made it very clear last month when he met with us in the media that he wasn't going to mortgage the future for the present. Uh, it's quite a remarkable turnaround, as we were saying earlier, from one from last season, finishing 28th in the overall standing. So this season looking like the legitimate playoff team. Uh, they've got a lot of young players on this team. They've got a lot of young prospects. Uh, yes, Barry Kotkaniemi, the 18-year-old, made the team this season. It's been a real uh, breath of fresh air and a pleasant surprise. Um, so I don't think not many people expect this team to even get into the playoffs. And Mark, you know, when you look at like Tampa, I mean, the powerhouse of Tampa is sort of wondering can the Canadians beat them in a seven-game playoff series? Probably not. Um, so Bergevin, I don't think is going to. But put it this way: if they get into the playoffs this season, it's been a very successful season, in my opinion. And uh, as I said, they've done really well. They got three solid forward lines. The fourth line's been a problem. He's hoping that he's fixed that now. Uh, we've got Carey Price in net who's playing like the Carey Price who won the Vesna Trophy and the Hart Trophy a few years ago and uh, as I said if they get the power play going they could surprise some people in the playoffs but again I just think Mark Bergeron is going to continue to build this team and he's not going to uh, give up a first round pick or a key prospect to try and get uh, one key guy who might be able to help the power play like I said I think they have enough talent on the power play just whatever they're doing system wise isn't working so it sounds like you are a believer in what Bergevin's uh, doing long-term with Montreal. I am. I mean, I was one of those vocal, most vocal critics last year. I thought he should have been fired after the season. It was a total disaster. Uh, at the end of the year, he came out and told us that the biggest problem on the team was a bad attitude in the locker room. And here's a GM that's been there for six years. So if there was a bad attitude in the locker room, they're all <laughs> his guys that he brought in. So mm-hmm. sort of point the finger at yourself and look in the mirror on that one. Having said that, uh, it looks like it was a bad attitude last year. Obviously, losing creates a bad attitude, but you know, 
Uh, you got rid of uh, Captain Max Pacioretty. You got rid of Alex Galchenyuk. Uh, Shea Weber was the C now. He's the you know the undisputed leader on the team. Uh, they brought in guys who really want to play here. Uh, Max Domi is thrilled to be playing here. Thomas Tatar is thrilled to be playing here. Uh, you hear a lot of players around the NHL who don't want to come to Montreal, either for the pressure, the media scrutiny, the bad weather, the high taxes, whatever reason, plus the fact the team's been terrible. But they, they have a lot of guys here now who really want to be here. And, you know, Max Domi's a perfect example about that. Here's a guy who was sort of fading away in Arizona, uh, you know, hockey wasteland out there, and came back to Montreal in a hockey market where every game matters, everybody cares, the media can be... Uh, uh, hard on you. The fans can be hard on you if you don't show up. So, but he's thrived in that. He's he's really enjoyed the spotlight. He's enjoyed the pressure, and not that surprising considering he's a kid who grew up as the son of a Toronto Maple Leaf, Ty Domi, and, and saw everything that it's like to play in a hockey fishbowl like Toronto. But uh, you know, the attitude in this room's been really good this season, and that's one of the things that Bergeron said was a problem, or the main thing he said was a problem last year, and he seems to have fixed that. Interesting. It, it's tough to figure stuff like that out if you're not on the inside, you're not around the locker room and un- understanding the vibe. So you've you've noticed just being around the team the difference from last year to this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, they talk about you know, we're in the room every day, but we're not in the room. Yeah. No, the, when they they open the doors after they deal with whatever they dealt with and they let the media. Uh-huh. So I mean, you could tell that last year they weren't happy. I mean, that was quite obvious. I mean, Max Pacioretty's contract situation was hanging over him. Uh, he was going through the final year of his contract and was hoping for an extension. Uh, the team really didn't want to give it to him. That weight on the room, the losing weight on the room. Uh, you know, Alex Galchenyuk was reported to have off-ice issues also. I think that weight on the room. Carey Price had an absolutely terrible season. That So just all these things just made the, the locker room. I don't think the guys were having a lot of fun coming to practice or coming to the games every day. And then just speaking with Jordy Ben. Uh, defenseman, he said, like right from day one of training camp, it just it felt different with this team, and probably just you know all the new faces, the you know eighteen year old Jesperi uh, Kotkaniemi, who's you know breath of fresh air in the room, and just a bit of a different attitude. And then they started winning right at the beginning, and you know winning is the best way to get a good attitude, and they've kept winning True. Uh, throughout most of the season. So now they've gone through a couple little slumps here and there, but nothing significant like they did last year. So it's um, yeah, it's it's been a a, a real a, a refreshing change in the locker room, and it's been a lot more pleasurable covering them this year than it was last year. It's only you know, by this time last year they're out of the playoffs, and there's only so many ways you can phrase the question: How come you guys are so terrible? You know, <laughs> and the players get tired of answering the question also. So you know, this year it's been much much better. Why do you think uh, Carey Price has been better this year? Do you think I feel like a lot of stuff with sports and especially like stars who have dips in those weird outlier years it it turns out like we'll find out later they're dealing with this kind of nagging injury or they're playing hurt in some kind of capacity do you think Carey Price is just healthier than he was a year ago or do you think anything's changed for him well the difference uh, I he has he's had those lower body injury problems he you know he had them this year also at the beginning of this year actually started this year he wasn't playing very well either and he said it was all in his head uh, so whatever might have been going wrong in his head early in the season he got figured out I mean only he knows the answer to what those problems were but um you know last year was just a disaster i mean uh, this is a team that really counts on carry price to be their their star player uh and last year he wasn't last year he was he was bad and uh you know as i said nagging injuries have sort of been a problem for him the last few years uh he's a big guy there's a lot of mileage on that body a lot of up and down in the butterfly stance for a big guy i think it took a wear and tear although he lost weight Trimmed down during the off season, came in probably in, uh, in a lot better shape than he was last year, 
and uh, you know it's shown it's shown in his play this season. He's been he was on quite a roll before he lost the they lost in overtime. At least he had won seven straight games. So um, you know he's 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 been you know his, his improvement is you know I've written many times that Canes that go as far as Carey Price can carry them. Uh, but he, this season, he hasn't had to carry them alone on his shoulders. He's had a lot of help from uh, from other players also. And then, you know, the return of Shea Weber obviously helped a lot. Weber only played 26 games last season, and he played 25, well, 25 and a half of them on a broken foot. He broke his foot in the first game of the season and tried to play through it as long as he could. And then eventually he couldn't play with it anymore. So he had uh, they shut him down for the season. He had foot surgery, and then he had knee surgery also in the offseason. So uh, he's back now. He's 100% healthy, and uh, he's obviously helping a lot also. Does this team remind you at all of the 2018 uh, Vegas Golden Knights? Uh, it, it does remind me a bit of the Knights because I think they're playing. First of all, the Claude Julien changed the system this year with uh, they brought in a couple of new assistant coach Dominic Ducharme and Luke Richardson. He's changed the system. It's a much more aggressive attacking system, very similar to what the Knights played. Uh, also, they got a lot of players here who have something to prove. Uh, you know, Max Domi was struggling in Arizona. You know, uh, uh, Thomas Tatar got traded uh, twice. You know, he got traded from the Red Wings to Vegas. He was a healthy scratch for most of the playoff run last year with Vegas, and he got traded again. Uh, Jonathan Drew had a terrible season last year. He had something to prove. So I think you've just got a lot of guys on this team that uh, have something to prove, similar to what was the situation last year in Vegas. And they're playing a similar style of Vegas. And it's uh, and they're getting great goaltending like Vegas got last year from Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah, I think it's it's fascinating because I feel like their season is like what the Ducks and Bob Murray had hoped would happen where they had the, the elite goalie in Gibson and then mm-hmm. kind of changed up the scheme a little bit. We're going to keep Carlisle and hope things. He's going to adjust and they made all these promises about playing faster, attacking more, but they didn't really have any stars in the roster. They're kind of older. They were in some bad contract situations and they were just hoping to play keep away and win a lot of 1-0 games and that kind of stuff. And that's obviously not happening. They're the worst team in hockey, maybe. So <laughs> it's funny to think about how easy this can shift um, and how much luck's involved and certain things going your way. But um, it is interesting just thinking about different teams and the way they're built and just how much scheme matters and how teams adjust and what people say in the offseason versus what actually happens when the puck drops, right? Yeah, well, Anaheim was here the other night and I was talking to one of the Anaheim beat writers and he said to me, so this is like Groundhog Day. (laughs) And I said, hey, we lived through it last year. It was the exact same thing in Montreal last season. And that Ducks team on the ice, they lost 4-1 to the Canadians here. They just looked like they didn't care. They looked like they were going through the motions. They were playing like they wanted their coach fired, which did happen. Uh, and it just reminded me a lot of last season with the Canadians. They were just a dead hockey team. There was just no fire. There was no, you know, there was, there was soft. There were, uh, it looked like they didn't want to be there type uh, thing. Almost looked like they're counting the days till the season ends. Um, so, th- yeah, it can change quickly. I mean, as I said, that's what the Canadians went through last year. And if Ducks fans want to look for a ray of hope, I mean, they can look at the Canadians because they were basically the Anaheim Ducks last season and they turned things around pretty quickly during the offseason. There you go. Um, and it also helps getting potentially a number one pick uh, this upcoming year. So that that's nice. Um, well, the number three pick definitely helped with Kutkin Yemi without a doubt. Yeah. True. Um, do you think they're, the, the Habs are done making moves after the Thompson trade or is there something else coming well, for this I, team? I wrote a column. I just finished writing a column about an hour or so ago. It's on okay. mine now. It's just basically saying that I, I think he might be done. Uh, I think he tinked, as I said, he tinkered with the fourth line. He's hoping that now he's fixed his fourth line. Uh, he's added a little bit of depth on defense with uh, the trade with the Flyers uh, the other day. He also brought in a defenseman, uh, Christian Folan. So I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't do anything else. I mean, he made it pretty clear he's not going to 
give up prospects or draft picks for a rental. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about trying to find somebody to play beside Shea Weber on the left side, but Victor Mete has filled that role really well recently. I mean, in a perfect world that maybe Bergeron would want to get a guy there, but you know, a guy, a number two defense and play beside Shea Weber is going to cost a lot. And I don't think he's ready to pay that. Uh, the other thing is, I think, you know, talk about attitude, the chemistry on this team has been really, really good all year. And I don't know how much he wants to disrupt that. I mean, he's got three pretty solid lines going. He's got three steady defense pairings going. He's got a good vibe going in the room. He's got a bunch of guys who seem to be playing for each other. They had a great test this week. You know, they beat Winnipeg 5-2, to two, and it easily could have been 8-2. to. Uh, they could have beat Toronto. They lost in overtime. And I think they, he's got a good thing going here in the room. And I don't know how much he wants to blow that up uh, uh, with a major move. So I, I, he might be done. I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he does nothing between now and February 25th. What was the fourth line he had out a couple of days ago that just got torched? I think the Maple Leafs had scored like two goals in like five minutes of this line being out there. Do you remember the grouping? He it had was uh, Pekka with um, Delorier and uh, was it Agostino? I think Agostino or Chapu. Chapu was the other one. I think. Just so brutal. The, they had like seven shots yeah. on goal and the Habs had like two and it was just yeah. like an absolute yeah. train wreck. It, it was kind yeah. of mind boggling. It was well, they could. And then the third period. Uh, Julian only played them two shifts and the second shift they almost got scored on again and then he didn't play them again so Julian was basically down to three lines for the third period which in today's NHL is really tough uh, Is that secretly what you hope though to see? How cool would that be a team just saying alright screw it we're not going to figure this out this year we're only going three lines <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You guys would wear down pretty quick that would, uh, the game's just too fast but now at least, you know, again, as I said, Julian isn't expecting his fourth line to score goals, but he's not, he doesn't want them to give up goals, especially when they're yeah. playing against the other team's fourth line. And that was the case the other night in, uh, here when you know, the Canes had the last change. Uh, they put their fourth line against the Leafs' fourth line, and the Leafs' fourth line torched them. And, uh, you know, that's, well, they said that in the power play, the two reasons they lost the game. If not Thompson, who else made sense for them uh, at the deadline? Um, it, it's hard to say at this point. I mean, there was talk they might be looking to defend Camp Fowler on defense, but I mean, again, that's going to cost too much. It's, so I think, it, as I said, it was going to be those grinding guys and also guys that, you know, Dale Weiss still has a year remaining on his contract, but the Canadians have a lot of salary cap room. They can fit him under. Uh, you know, I think he was he was looking for guys that weren't, no, he wasn't going to be stuck with their contracts also. So that was why I think it was just a tinkering uh, a little fourth line tinkering and Nate Thompson fits right into that. His contract's up after the season. Uh, and, you know, he's a fourth line. He's a grinder. He's 34, I think, but he's a big guy. He can win faceoffs, and he's, he's sort of the, exactly what Bergeron was looking for, trying to pick up a, a big centerman tough to play against without really giving up anything. They're seven, two and one, I believe in their last 10 games. Do you think this is something that continues after the trades and everything they've done? Is it sustainable that the run they're on? Can they catch the Maple Leaves or do you think this is not uh, sustainable for them? Can they, it, I think it is sustainable if Carey Price keeps playing the way he's playing. I mean, the Canes have another tough stretch. You know, they had the Winnipeg Toronto back to back. They took three out of four points, which I don't think many people expected, even as well as the Canadians have played this season. And now you've got Nashville and Tampa, the next two games back to back on the road. Another you know, two of the elite teams in the NHL. Um, so, I mean, are they going to go 7-2-1 and one out of every 10-game segment the rest of the way? Probably not, but, I mean, I can see them playing 600 hockey, and, you know, that'd be, that'd be easily it's enough for them to team. get into the playoffs. That's a playoff team, exactly. Interesting. Um, do you think that's what he wants, though? Do you think this is a GM that wants him to be in the playoffs and experience that, or do you think he... It, it, he's perfectly fine them missing it and getting a better pick? No, without, without a doubt, he wants to be in the playoffs. I mean, he... Okay. This city, Montreal, I mean, Montreal goes crazy when the Canadians aren't in the playoffs. I and mean, the winters are long here. 
And mm-hmm. when spring comes or the city comes alive, when the Canadians are in the playoffs, the weather warms up, uh, people are outside, people can't, this, the city is all Canadians talk, the Canadians rule the city and uh, there's an excitement around and Bergeron is the line, his favorite line is you know, once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. And that's true when you got a goalie like Carey Price. Um, so no, I mean, he, he wants to get in the playoffs and, and the thing is he's in a good position now where, you know, if there were maybe six points out, he might've been more tempted to maybe do something to try and get in. But I mean, they're basically the way the, the way the team's built now, they look like a playoff team. So it's just a bit, a little bit of tinkering just to, uh, to maybe get them over that little next hump. Um, now they're sort of, it's so tight in Eastern conference. They go from third in the Atlantic division to down to the first or second wild card spot, almost on a nightly or gamely basis. Um, you know, but uh, as I said, the the key going forward again is to get the power play going. And as I said, I think they have the talent here to make it work. And now it's up to the coaching staff to, to get it to work. So we've already learned from the top of this podcast that there is obviously a difference between the way uh, Canadian media, sports media covers uh, certain teams in Canada versus how American uh, sports media covers them. Because it, like, I'll go ahead and tell you, Connor McDavid, not on a lot of people's radar this year. Can go ahead and tell no. you, Edmonton's not making ESPN uh, very often. And it's, it's a travesty. I talked to an Oilers writer a couple weeks ago, Rob Sorry, about it. And it's just, it sucks. Like, all it is. That you got just, the, you've got a generational talent, the best player in the league by far and he's now on a team that he's just stuck. keeps shooting itself in the foot i mean they just keep they had so many first now people talk about tanking and getting high draft picks to rebuild your team well the oilers did that and they screwed it up yeah and now you've got you know we've got Connor mcdavid who you know it was not that long ago people were picking the oilers as a stanley cup team with him and you know now they're not even a playoff team and it's just everything's falling apart there i mean they got a little bit of a boost when they brought in ken hitchcock as the coach but that fell apart pretty quick. He was really frustrated. He had a quote saying, you know, this time of the year, the players should be caring more than the coaches. And that's not the case here. And well, that's uh, good. Things yeah, are great. So in Edmonton. It, <laughs> uh, it's just, a, it's a mess. It's a, it's a real mess there. And, you know, uh, I, I doubt if Hitchcock will be back next season. You know, they got uh, Wayne Gretzky's brother as the interim GM there. I imagine they're going to, no, I'm pretty, almost certainly going to find another GM during the off season. We'll then hire a coach. But, you know, one of the problems in Edmonton, and it's the Canes have done this too, is they've, Often management and coaching, they've they've had a tendency to reach back to their past and bring yeah. in former players. You know, whether it was Kevin Lowe or Craig McTavish or you know Keith Wayne Gretzky's brother, now is the uh, the interim GM. They sort of just keep bringing you know I think back to when you know Kane's hard Mario Tremblay as their coach and Rajon Hull as the GM, which led to Patrick Waugh getting traded. It was a disaster. So I think now they've learned from that, and I'm, I'd be shocked if they hire one of the old boys from the Oilers. Uh, to come in and run the team and the coach. Actually, I wouldn't say I'd be mildly shocked, I guess is a better way to put it. But I, I don't think, I think they've tried going down that route and it hasn't worked. I think they're going to look to, to try something else. Are the Canadians fans that you interact with always looking at what Toronto's doing and their future and Matthews and Islander and everybody else? And they're just like, oh God, uh, this team is just going to be around and be a force for years now. And they've been, they were terrible for years and they figured it out. And the Canadians, um, just with their gigantic fan base, is it something where it's like, why can't that be us? Why are, why, when do we get to experience that? Do you think that's yeah. something that they're always thinking about? A little bit. I mean, the biggest rivalry with the Canadians now is the Bruins, only because the Leafs were been terrible for so long. And then yeah. they were also in different conferences. So, I mean, they, they haven't met in the playoffs since 1979. Wow. Uh, I mean, the Bruins and the Habs meet in the playoffs almost every year. It's like an annual tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to say the switch, no, I mean, the Leafs went through a lot. I mean, we're talking about the Oilers not being able to rebuild through the draft. I mean, the Leafs are the opposite. You know, you look at the the guys that they've got, you know, Marner and, 
and uh, Matthews and these guys and Kadri and all these high picks, Morgan Riley, they built their team through the draft and they've been mm-hmm. they're ahead of a schedule when they brought in Mike Babcock. Uh, you know, he said there was going to be a lot of pain before it got better. It wasn't that much pain. It turns it around pretty quickly, but this season, there's a lot more interest in what the Leafs are doing uh, because the Canes are so close to them in the standings. And, you know, if the season was to end, you know, after the season had ended on the weekend, the Habs and Leafs would have met in the first round of the playoffs. And there's still a very, very good chance that'll happen. And as I said, that'd be the first time since 1979. Uh, you know, Claude Julien was 19 years old playing junior hockey as a defenseman back then. You know, none of these players were alive. So this, but, you know, the older Canes fans remember it. Uh, so many Montrealers have friends who have moved to Toronto. Uh, you know, the other night at the at the Bell Center, there was there was a lot of Toronto fans in, in the uh, in the Bell Center. There was you know the Go Leaf Go chants were almost drowning out the Go Habs Go chants. So this season has been more of a focus, I think, on what's going on in Toronto. But I don't think it's a case of why them not us. I don't think Canadians fans would want to go through all the suffering that the Leafs did to get there. I mean, Canadians fans you know suffered last season, but you know the year before uh, they were in the playoffs. So. Um, you know, with the Leafs and sort of Montrealers like teasing Toronto about how they haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967. Also, that's always great fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um, how does the season end for the Canadians? I think they make the playoffs. Um, if they run into the Leafs in the first round, I think they'll have a hard time beating them. I think, but I think they'll give them a fight. I can see it going uh, six, maybe even seven games. Um, but having said that, you know, as Mark Bergeron said, once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. If Carey Price can steal a couple of games, you know, they could knock him off. But, I mean, I wouldn't bet money on it happening. I think Toronto just has too much firepower. Uh, they take advantage of their chances like they did the other night, you know, when the Canes wasted their opportunities on the power play, and especially in overtime, the Leafs came right back and, and scored a goal. But uh, nothing would really totally surprise me with this team this year with the Canadians. I said the way they're playing, and especially, you know, Carey Price can steal a series. So it's possible they would beat the Leafs, but I wouldn't expect it. So basically, it's going to be the uh, twenty-seven or twenty-eighteen Ducks with Gibson, where you're like, "Oh, they might be able to steal the series," and then they take it out in the first round, and that's that's <laughs> yeah, the that's, that's that's possible. That's possible <laughs> when, when you look at where they were last year to where they've come. As I said, I think uh, making the playoffs, and and if they run into a team like the Leafs and they can take them six games and lose, uh, to me, I think it's a uh, a good season and a good sign moving forward because uh, they got so many young players on this team. It would be a heck of an experience for them. This has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time, Stu. We can read you at the Montreal Gazette. What a name yep. for a paper. Very, <laughs> I, I love the Montreal Gazette name. That's a very, it sounds very um, bourgeoisie. I, I like it a lot, but we can read you there. You're one of yep. the best hockey writers of today. And uh, what should we check out this week um, uh, on your end? Well, we got to say Montreal Gazette or hockeyinsideout.com is our Gazette the hockey site also where all our Canadians news is there. Uh, and this week, as I said, they have a busy week. They're in Nashville on Thursday and then Tampa on Saturday, Florida, uh, Tampa on Saturday, Florida on Sunday. So I'm making that trip. So I'm flying out of Montreal t- uh, Tuesday morning. It was supposed to be a Wednesday morning, but we're supposed to get about 25 inches of snow here uh, Tuesday night. So uh, I, I switched my flight to get out of here early and hopefully I, I beat the snowstorm and make it to Nashville. <laughs> I hope so too. Um, Stu, th- thank you so much for taking the time tonight. And uh, let's talk hockey again sometime soon. Sure, my pleasure. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast, and my guest at the moment on the line, Rod Walker of the New Orleans Advocate. Rod, good evening, sir. How are you? 
I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you for coming on. I uh, I first have to ask though: Are you already dreading talking more Anthony Davis and New Orleans Pelicans? Are Are you over it yet? <laughs> um, not really. I mean, it's you know it's still the hot topic and one of the you know the thing that everybody's still talking about. Um, three weeks after he requested the trade, so no, it hadn't gotten old quite yet. <laughs> How weird has it been to cover this team with the Anthony Davis stuff going on over the last week and a half? Uh, it's been pretty weird, and I think the, um, I guess the culmination of it so far, I guess anyway, came on Friday night when the, uh, you know, the Timberwolves were in town, and it was the uh, first game that he actually played since all this stuff, you know, first came out about him requesting a trade. So it was just a really weird atmosphere Friday night. You know, he, um, they had taken some of the um, things, pictures of him off of the video board leading up to this, and then Friday night things were sort of back to normal, I guess. And they, they booed him during the pregame introductions. You know, they saved him for last like they always do. And he got booed. First couple of times he touches the ball, he gets booed. And it was just kind of weird because that, that's never happened for this guy in the six and a half seasons he's been here. And then all of a sudden uh, he sort of gets going in the game and scores, you know, his 10 out of his first 11 shots. And it was just really rolling. And, you know, then you got some of these fans who are, you know, they're glad to see this team's doing well. So they start, all of a sudden, they start cheering for this guy. They were just booing, uh, you know, a few minutes earlier. And then as the game goes on, it stays close. And um, then the Pelicans put AD on the bench for the, you know, he didn't play in the you know, fourth quarter. And the game was still sort of hanging in the balance. So at this point, fans are like, hey, we want AD. And so they start chanting his name, AD, AD. And they didn't put him back in there, but they, Pelicans still were able to win the game, and um, it was just a weird atmosphere the whole night just to see how much the crowd – it's almost like they don't really know what to do. Should yeah. we cheer for this guy? Should we boo this guy? So uh, it was just really weird. And then after the game, you know, he talked about – he talked about it a little bit and just the fact that he says he was surprised he got booed, which is, you know, sort of surprising to me that he would be surprised if he got booed. Just, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that's – you know, you, you request a trade and say you don't want to be on a team. I mean, that's – Normally the outcome, fans are going to boo you for it. So uh, they seem to get over it quickly, but I think, you know, they come back, they play um, in Orla- they play Orlando in New Orleans on Tuesday, and I expect it'll be some more of the same. I mean, I think they'll start out with the boos, and, you know, if he gets going, maybe the boos go away, and if he doesn't, I think the boos will continue throughout the night. And it's, it's sort of a split fan base, I think. I mean, you have some fans who, you know, you have your diehard fans that really understand the dynamics of this, and they um, just – you know, have a problem with the way all this uh, went about. I think those fans are going to boo. And then you have the probably more casual fans that aren't, you know, they're not following all the details of everything on Twitter. All they know is this guy, you know, busted his butt here for six and a half years. And, you know, he's done so much for this franchise as far as, you know, sort of being the face of the franchise. You got those fans who, you know, they're going to cheer for him and they appreciate what he's done. So it's just a really uh, weird dynamic to see all that come together and, and, to what has come in the last few weeks. So as you've gotten to know Anthony Davis over the years, how would you describe his personality type? Because he seems like someone that we, like one of the few superstars we just have no read on. Um, and it seems like with Clutch coming into the fold that they were kind of speaking for him. And then that's why he was kind of surprised of just the reception from the fans. It's just like this normal business move on his part that it, it's strictly business and has nothing to do with the city and it's not my fault that I went out and all this other stuff. Like how would you describe Anthony Davis, the person? 
Um, I would think, especially leading up to this season, I mean, he was just like such a laid back. I mean, if you didn't keep up with basketball and just knew him just from his personality, you think you wouldn't even know he's a superstar because he's just so laid back. Um, sort of seemed like the guy just, you know, he appreciated the opportunity to play basketball and he was one of the best players in the world, but would never really say that, you know, he just always talked about, Hey, I want to win. I want to win. But then you fast forward to this, um, I guess, you know, this past off season and, you know, he changed agents and, um, when he got with Rich Paul and then he came out with a statement, it was the first, uh, it was one of the first times he'd ever said anything. Like this. You know, he said, Hey, I'm one of the best. I feel like I'm the best player in the world. And even if he felt like that, he never he had never come out and said it. So once he said that, I mean, I think some people, especially the local media, I think we started sensing that, okay, things may be about to change a little bit <laughs> this mm-hmm. season. Because he had never come out and been that, you know, that vocal about about who he was as a player. You know, he just always a little, you know, just a little bit more laid back, a little bit more humble than that. And when he said that, I think that was sort of the, the first sign to all of us that, okay, this is about to change a little bit. And um, so now, and, and to this day, I mean, I don't know how much of this is how he feels, how much of it is just, you know, this is kind of what his agents told him to say. I think that, and that's kind of what my feelings, my personal feelings aside, I don't have anything to back this up really, but I don't know if Anthony Davis would have come out and said, Hey, I'm the best player in the world. I think that was something that they told him, Hey, you need to put that out there. That you're the best player in the world. And I think it was just all sort of, part of this bigger picture thing, you know, to try to make these moves that we end up seeing over the past couple of weeks saying he wanted to be out of here. And I think it was all just sort of part of that plan, I think. Do you think and the things obviously didn't go? Okay. Oh yeah. Well, do you think that that's like one of those things where like the plan, he, you kind of said that you saw stuff change this off season before the season got started of like, that makes me wonder, like how much do you think Dell Demps in this front office in new Orleans once he changed to clutch, they were like, oh, this is over. Like, I do you think there was a sense there where they were like, oh, clutch sports is involved, Rich Paul is involved, he's not taking the Supermax? Or do you think that they still went into this season thinking no, there was a I chance? No, I think they went into this season thinking that he was still signed. I, don't, I think they were a little surprised when, when, when that news came out that, hey, he wants to be out of here. And, um, and then, you know, the next day it comes – it comes public, you know, a few days later, I guess that he wants to be out of here. And that's when I think it really just caught everybody by surprise. Because I think when, when the word came out that he wants to be traded, he could have told management that and they, you know, kept it hush hush for the end of the season. And I think everything would have been fine. But once he came out, that's when they're like, Oh, okay, this is, <laughs> that's when I think it started getting bad and turning to what it's turned, what, what it's turned into. So this is something that's popped up and I hadn't even really considered it until recently. I mean, I will say, I remember I was at a Pelicans Hawks game. Uh, I think it was a preseason game last year. And I sat like a couple rows up from half court, very humble brag here, not my seats, but I sat up really close to the New Orleans Pelicans bench and I got to see a lot of different dudes. But I remember Danny Ferry sitting two or three rows behind me. I turned and he was sitting right next to Dell Demps. And no one else knew in the Atlanta <laughs> fan base. No one knew who was sitting in the middle of just th- th- this game. Yeah. And like, I turned, and I was like, is he like, I haven't really heard what his actual status. Cause he's in that weird NBA limbo stuff. And just uh, obviously everything that happened in Atlanta and he's just sitting there and just kind of going unnoticed. And I was, I, I just 
it never got brought up, and I feel like there hasn't been a lot of discussion about that. And then you hear on Simmons' podcast from last week that like there there's more questions about the Benson ownership group, and then how much power does Mickey Loomis have? How would you describe the makeup and the power structure in New Orleans right now? Um, and I guess I just start with the Danny Ferry. I mean, prior to not this season, but the 2000. 17, 18 season, I guess. And, you know, they, they brought Ferry in. He was, and I don't even know right off what his exact title was. I, it was almost like a consultant type. Yeah, he was guy like a shadow was figure. He was just around. Yeah, and he yeah, just kind of guy. They just didn't of, know how much yeah. involved because they just knew it was going to be a PR nightmare. I feel like if they hired him officially. Right, <laughs> right. So I mean, he's. I just, I'll just call him a consultant. Just for yeah. Me, what he actually does, I guess. But uh, and I mean, we still don't really know how much. How much you know? How much say so he has in decisions? That was two years ago. <laughs> right, right. So, right. And so we still don't really know what that it, what he does as far as that. But um, as far as the um, you know, you're talking about the you know the you know Mickey Loomis is still considered that you know he's Dale Dempsey's boss basically, and he's you know Mickey's I guess right up under Gail Benson. So, I mean, the structure's sort of weird. I mean, I don't think any other team in the league you know deals with with this kind of structure where you have a Primarily a football type guy that's that's sort of in charge, I guess, and and I don't know, like I don't know if if Wendell makes decisions if if it goes through Mickey Loomis or not. So I'm not really sure. Like I don't think most people don't really know how that <laughs> dynamic actually. So no one out. knows really. Uh, so it's all of, rampant yeah, speculation. Yeah, yeah. No one's gotten a firm answer right. on who's running the Pelicans. Right. Yeah. And I, mean, I think Dale Dale actually makes the. I think he makes the decision, but like I don't know if. You know, if he has to get it proved or how that actually works. There's no way he does it by himself. There's, there's just too many, there's too many cooks in the kitchen for it just to be like Dell to be like, all right, this is good. I'm, I'm signing off, and that's it. Like, there's just, there's no way it's just him. Right. I mean, and that's what you. I mean, just based on the, the way the, tr- the organizational chart itself. I mean, I'd, I'd have to agree with you. I mean, you, you think that he's having to, you know, at least run that by some people, and they're all input making their input on this stuff. Does Gail Benson go to the things. games? Uh, she was there on Friday night and she, yeah, she's typically, you know, she's typically there. Yeah. Okay. She's, especially once football season is, I mean, obviously she was there all the Saints games, but, um, uh, she, she, you know, she goes to mostly every game that she can. So, I mean, just, Interesting. You know, as long as she doesn't have a conflict with something else. So yeah, I mean, she's there, and, um, you know, she'll go to the locker room after, after some games, especially a big win, you know, she'll go and have you seen Mickey in the, the locker guys, room? But, yeah, I mean he's a, he's around sometimes. I mean, he's, you know, you see him in the just in the hallway or whatever. You know, you, they're they're there. So yeah. God, that's so bizarre. I just I feel like we don't talk about this enough, and there needs to be an investigation. Rod, I want to <laughs> I want you to clear your calendar. I want the next month of an investigative piece for the Advocate on who's actually running the Pelicans, so we can get a definitive answer <laughs> here because I need to know. Yeah, I think we'd all like to know. <laughs> um. So do you think there is, this was something I was thinking about recently, just because Anthony Davis was not traded at the deadline. Um, it's all weird. He got booed and then cheered, and that's going to be weird for the rest of the season. He gets benched in the fourth quarter, all that weird stuff. Do you think, barring injury, because that obviously changes things down the stretch for them and their whole summer, but do you think there is still a chance that because of their weird organizational structure that they don't trade him even this summer and they keep, they draw this out into the deadline next year. Or do you think this is something that um, you would be absolutely floored if he um, was still on the Pelicans at the start of next season? 
Yeah, I think I'd be a little surprised to keep him around just because of a lot of it, just because of how weird this is right now. I mean, you, I just think it's hard to keep a guy when you know he doesn't want to be here. Um, I mean, I guess worst case scenario, I mean, yeah, you could hold him until the trade deadline, the next trade deadline, deadline next February. You know, you could and, and just wait out and see. But I just, I just think they're at a point now where they want to kind of move on, get past this, and start the rebuild of this franchise. And so I just. I'd have a hard time thinking they'd keep him around for, um, you know, for any much longer than, you know, starting heading into next season. I just, I don't see that. Do you think the city can handle uh, a post Anthony Davis Pelicans team? Yeah, I think so. Especially if, I mean, I think it's, I mean, this is a really good player here. And if you get something good for him and, uh, I mean, there's a number one pick out there that <laughs> we all know who that's going to be, and what kind of seats that guy can put in the yeah, I mean, what kind true. of um, fans he could put in the seats, and um, and I'm just throwing a name out there. I mean, you get a guy like Jason Tatum in here that could you know be the quote unquote face of the franchise along with uh, Drew Holiday. So I mean, I think I think the team can. I think there's I think there's a good chance that this team can come out of this and. You know, pretty good shape, and you know, I mean, obviously you're losing, you're losing one of the top five, top ten guys in the league, but I do think there's a chance they can come out of this okay and and move on from a guy who, you know, who feel like he's done all he can do here. So I, I think there's, a, I think the city can recover from it. So you mentioned someone I want to ask you about, Drew Holiday, who seems like the ultimate great teammate, great human being in general. Um, what do you think his future is like in New Orleans? Do you think he's someone who also gets moved? Or do you think it's someone like, you know what, we want to just keep somebody. You, you just don't want to lose the locker room guy like this. You don't, He's still such a good player in that you could still rebuild and reload with somebody like him. You just paid him a gigantic contract extension. Do you think this is someone that they have already kind of prioritized as, look, this guy means a lot to our city, our team. Like It's one thing to move Anthony Davis. He put us in a bind, but... Drew Holiday elected to stay here. He wanted to stay because AD stayed and all of this other stuff. Or do you think they do him a solid and just say, hey, look, um, we're going to find you a place where you can go compete for a title. Um, how do you think that unfolds for Drew Holiday? Do you get the sense of where his priorities lie? Um, talking to him? The um, only thing he's ever said about anything, you know, he's, I think one of his dreams would be to get a chance to play with one of his brothers. But other than that, I think Drew really likes it here. And you look at the numbers he's put this season. I mean, he's really, he's really having an all-star type season. Yeah. The numbers. I mean, he's third in the league in assists and scoring, you know, right at 20 points a game. And he sort of held his team together. I mean, they've, I mean, obviously they're under 500 and probably won't make the playoffs at all. But I mean, he's been the guy that sort of, he's played hard every night. This is a guy that's only missed one game in the past two seasons. And that was, he caught the flu from his daughter or something. So, I mean, he's been healthy and he's just been playing hard. He's fourth in the league in minutes and he's just sort of, um, you know, I mean, I just think he, I think he, he likes his situation. Obviously he wants to win too, like all players do, but I think he's a guy that you know, they bring in the right pieces and Drew's the kind of guy you can sort of, I mean, you can sort of build a team around him, I think. And I think he sort of likes that situation. I could be, you know, he could be totally unhappy and may not want to be logging out of the minutes that he is and, you know, may not want to be the man on the team. He may want to be the second guy like, you know, he's sort of had to be uh, over the past few years with AD. But I, I really think he – just based on what, I know, what I've what i seen and heard from him, I just – I think he likes his situation. Okay. Um, do you think Alvin Gentry is back next year? 
man, that's, I think that's a question a lot of people are asking. Um, and man, it's really tough. I mean, he's, you look at all the and uh, we've been saying this for you know since he's been here. I mean, he just the injuries are just piled up and piled yeah. up and piled up. He's never really had got a chance to play with the um, with the you know the the way the season started. Never. That's not how the season ever ended for him. And you go back to him losing to Marcus last season. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of tough breaks. Uh, he's never had a wing? A dude. <laughs> yeah, 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 that doesn't help either. But um, just uh, the fact that he's, um, I think players seem to like, you know, they seem to like playing for him, his style of play kind of, you know, you get a lot of touches and people score score points. So I know players like that. So, uh, um, man, that's a, that's a tough question. I don't know the answer to and. um you know, I, I just don't know what they'll do, what direction they'll decide to go with, with him. Do you like talking to him? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's good to talk to. You know, um, yeah, he's, he's good to talk to. Um, I know sometimes, especially during this whole Anthony Davis saga, there have been times when you know, I, I know it's a tough spot for him. I mean, you can't probably say what you feel as far as how the situation is going, but you know, he always sort of seems to say the right thing. And mm-hmm. I think that's why Al's been so successful in his time in the NBA and why he's always been liked by his peers. He's always able to, you know, he's always able to find jobs and things because he, he, he's great at communicating as far as just saying the right things, I guess. And um, so, you know, I think that bodes well for him. I think that's why he's, you know, has such longevity in the, in the league. He survived coaching under Donald Sterling. Like the guy's got a pass for life, I think. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, yeah, he's like one of those coaches that just never got that. Like, he was clearly good enough to be the coach on a, a title-winning team. Like, that Suns team that almost beat the Lakers that year, he was that coach after Dan Tony left. Right. And I just I, – I think if he wants to be there long-term and stick around, depending on how the Anthony Davis stuff unfolds, I think I would probably keep him around. He's, he's good enough to win you a title if you get the right roster around him. So if he's happy, I would keep him, especially with just so much uncertainty around that team. The more continuity you can have, I think, uh, the better for that group. Um, are you at all surprised at the way the season unfolded for them, that they are just at the bottom of the Western Conference? Or did you think – based on how they finished last year and kind of rolled through Portland and um, got to the second round and all that kind of stuff, that this was a team built to kind of build off that and to improve you more, even without the Marcus Cousins? Or do you think this was always something that uh, was probably going to happen with the uh, just the logistics of their roster? Uh, I think I was a little surprised. I know a lot of people weren't, but I mean, you look at this roster they started the season with bringing in um, Alfred Payton and bringing in Julius Randle. To me, the roster they started this season off with was better than the roster they ended last season off with. Interesting. I, okay. I mean, that's because, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not counting DeMarcus because DeMarcus okay. was out at the end of last season. But I'm, yeah. I mean, the roster that, that they played against, that they played with against Portland, mm-hmm. to me, what they had coming in this season was was a little better. I just thought the effort was, and I, I do think they missed some of the Rondo leadership in the locker room, which was a key in the um, in the postseason, but mm-hmm. I thought statistically, I thought Alfred would, you know, play just as well as uh, as Rondo did, and, and I thought Julius Randle gave them a presence they didn't have last year at the end of the season. So I just thought those two pieces was, was probably better than what they ended last season with, and um, so. Um, but Alfred's only played 19 games this season. I mean, I don't think anybody saw him. I mean, he's not a guy who's really dealt with a lot of injuries, and then he gets here and. And he's banged up, and then Meritage is 
part from the season, the AD. Sorry, it's just it's been a, it's just been a season where we I don't know if we ever really got a chance to see this team and what it could be. And then obviously stuff with AD. Like I mean, what we found out oh you know the past two weeks. I mean, we don't know if he really ever wanted to be here this season. I don't know if his head was you know if his head was in it at all this season. So I mean, it's just kind of a bad mix and. So I don't think this team really got a fair shot to live up to its potential. And as a result, here we are seven to eight games under 500. Do you have any uh, thoughts on Jaleel Okafor's career renaissance in New Orleans this year? Uh, you know, I think it's been, a, <laughs> it's been a tremendous story that hadn't really been talked about a whole right. lot. And right. uh, probably was kind of flown under the radar because mm-hmm. of all this anti stuff. And it, it, and it was kind of one of the things, you know, when AD – when they decided oh, we're going, to, we're going to play him. It sort of hurt Jaleel because you know Jaleel's putting up some good, playing really well, um, especially his past seven or eight games when AD was out. He was averaging twenty and ten or something like that, eighteen and ten. Uh, and so now those minutes are now that AD's back. I mean, those minutes are going to be gone, and you know yeah. I sort of hate that for Jaleel because you know this is a good chance for him to develop even more as a player. So you know I sort of hate to see that for him because he's really um, played well and. You know, he's, the beginning of the season, he didn't really do a whole lot, and then he got his chance to get some minutes in, and he made the most of it. And now all of a sudden, those minutes are going to be gone again because AD's back. And have you asked him why he's to play him. played so much better in New Orleans this year? That he's kind of turned the corner and gotten his career back on track a little bit. Um, I hadn't really asked him that specifically, but I think it's just just a lot of these guys. It's just a matter of just getting that confidence and getting the right fit and getting into the right system. And I think you know he's just kind of been able to do that and. He's around some, you know, players like Drew Howe. They can they can get him the ball where, where he needs to get the ball. And I, think, I think it's just been a, so it's just a perfect fit for him. You know, this guy going somewhere else, and this could be the same Jaleel Okafor from the last few years. I think it's just the, I think it's just the right fit for him at the right time in his in his career. And you know, hopefully he can build on this and keep going uh, regardless of where his career takes him. How this was something another thing that was thrown under the rug that I've always kept in the back of my mind. How close was Joe Dumars to becoming a uh, big part of this front office a few years ago? Was who Dumars? Yeah, Dumars, because he's from New yeah, Orleans. That uh, area. Yeah, that yeah. was like a rumor for it's a while that he was going to get find his way back into the NBA by joining the front office in New Orleans. Was that close? Yeah, I'm not sure how close it was. I mean, I think they're. Obviously, was you know he had the ties to the to the city, obviously, and or to the area. Um, not really sure how close that that came to actually coming to fruition. And I mean, you know, there are people who you know his name sort of comes up <laughs> now. So I mean, I, I don't, but I don't know how close that that was actually coming to happen because I've only uh, this is like my third year, I guess, actually covering this team. So um, I don't really know how close that was back then. Okay. Um, have you gotten a sense of what the chances are? And I apologize in advance, New Orleans fans, but do you think? If do you think there is any chance that uh, Gail Benson would sell the team to somebody who would move it to Seattle? Like if Chris Hansen calls, does she listen? Oh, man, just just talking to her um, and this comment she's made, uh, she knows what I know how much her husband, you know, the late Tom Benson, how much basketball sort of meant to him and why he wanted to bring that to this city and. I mean, I think they'd have to make a really, really good offer. I, I don't know. She seems like she's really like all in, and she wants this team to be here. And um, that's all indications I've ever, you know, everything, everything she's ever said has been, you know, like she's pretty much all in. So, 
I'd be a little uh, shocked if um, if that happened. And you know, maybe this AD situation changes her mind. But I mean, I, I really can't imagine her doing that. Okay. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um, I don't want to end this on a sour note um, for New Orleans fans. So, how would you spin? Or I shouldn't even say spin. What is their what what is the biggest reason for hope for the New Orleans Pelicans over the next couple of years? It, after the Anthony Davis stuff is over, the saga is over, the nightmare is over. Um, what what makes you optimistic about this franchise going forward? I think the whole key to that is just going to be what they get for Anthony Davis. I mean, I think, um, and I know I keep throwing Jason Tatum's name out there, but I think if you get a you know a young upcoming star like that, um, or if you get you know, if you somehow get the number one pick. If you get the number one pick, I think it, you know, I think the franchise may be even better off. I mean, just the fact that you get him and you're probably getting something else and you're getting rid of a guy who didn't want to be here. So, I mean, I think there's a, um, to answer that question, we won't be able to answer it fairly until we know what, what they get for AD once that move is made. And I, I'm thinking that, you know, you look at what they turned down from the Lakers and you think they, if they can get something, equal to that or better than that i think I mean, they can get better to, yeah if it's boston if they yeah, do the deal with boston they can get better and i think if right. they walk away with tatum jalen brown who it it works really well for them that he's having it down here in boston and that there is some right. trouble there because i think his trade value has been significantly lowered there um i've never been a big jalen guy but some people still see paul george maybe and that's that's a top 10 player right now in the nba so <laughs> if that's the case it's just a lot of these guys it just depends on how you personally view these guys like the reason people didn't like the lakers offers because people don't really like right. kyle kuzma brandon ingram and um the lonzo balls long term is like all-star no, guys right. but right they might see right. it as like, oh, these are all future all-stars. Like if you see Brandon Ingram as someone who's going to put it together in the next team and become an all-NBA player, then it's a great deal. Like you're trading one all-NBA right. guy for another one and maybe two. Like it just depends on how you perceive these young players. And they're still 19, 20 yeah. years old. So it's really just like personal preference and how you're scouting talent and how you view these guys more than anything else. That's why people were ripping that package of like, oh, what a joke. It's like, well... It just depends on how you view those guys. Like they were, they went number two yeah. in the draft for a reason. Like they are still. I, I just, I think it's fascinating how we view this kind of stuff. But um, if yeah. they get Rosier, I think a key. Yeah, I, yeah go ahead. No, 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 I no, think no. a key to a key to whoever they get is they're going to have to get some guys who want to be in New Orleans, and I think that's. Um, I think with those Laker guys, I think there were some people who thought, especially Lonzo. I mean, we heard what his dad said, but. You got to have guys who want to be here. If those guys aren't going to embrace New Orleans, and I know coming from LA to New Orleans is a, is a big difference, a different, you know, it's a whole different lifestyle, pretty much. So I, I just think that's going to be important too. So I mean, the guys they get here are going to want to have to be here, and, and you know that that plays a big part in um, how how well guys play. I mean, want to be there and want to be a part and want to have to rebuild. Rod, this has been great. I really do appreciate uh, you taking the time. Um, where can we check out from you? Actually, you know what? One last thing. Where do you think AD is? I need to ask you that. Where do you think he is? If you had to guess what team Anthony Davis gets traded to, who is it? Man, that's uh, <laughs> uh, I'd probably say Boston just because I think at the end of the day they're going to probably just have the best deal, and I think it's going to be you know too hard to turn down. But I just think there are so many other – you know, I mean, I think the Knicks could come into play, especially mm-hmm. you know, number one pick. Uh, I think the Clippers have some assets yeah. that they can offer, and you know, the Clippers get you to L.A. I mean, it's not with the team that you want to play with, but you're in L.A. if that's what you want. So, and it might be you and Kawhi because um, yeah. they have two max slots available now. 
Right, right. So yeah, I mean, so I, it's going to be interesting to see, and I think it'll definitely um, change the look of the NBA next season, wherever he ends up. Can you imagine being a reporter? Sorry, Yovan Bua, friend of the pod. Uh, if Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis are your two superstars, and you're a reporter for that team. <laughs> You thought you weren't getting anything yeah, now. Be... Like, good God. Like, there's just... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Between the two of them, I don't know if there's been... there's You could put two more laid-back, quiet personality types on the same team. <laughs> I, I would be 100% right. here for it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually curious to see how AD is in a different market. You know, both of those guys, um, you know, he's been in New Orleans, a sort of small market. Like, I I don't know how he'd be in a New York or in L.A. I mean, it'll be different for him. Uh, Actually, in L.A., you got LeBron who's going to, you know, do most of the – he'll get most of the interviews and kind of take some of the attention off of you a little bit, I guess. But, uh, you know, that New York media is a lot different from, <laughs> from the New Orleans media just as far as just your numbers. You know, See, just, I feel like New York would be easy older. for him. I think they would love him no matter what. It's like he's the best player they've, they've had in maybe ever. You can make the case <laughs> Anthony Davis would That's immediately be the best <laughs> Nick of all time. That is a legitimate thing you could say. So it's like, just embrace yeah. it. It's like, whatever, you can be the weirdest human being possible. You can just be a gigantic jackass to everybody. I don't care. You're the yeah. greatest Nick of all time immediately. Like, they're relevant for the next five years or whatever he signs. Like, I think New York media right. and New York fans would embrace him no matter what, just because they're like, oh, my God, we did a nice thing. This is amazing. Yeah. How did right. this happen? <laughs> yeah, and he's definitely a talent. So, yeah, he'd definitely be appreciated there. And, yeah, I agree with Sam on that. LA is there's more pressure because they have to win. There's no pressure to win in New York. They have to win, yeah. <laughs> They're right. just like we're happier here. We, we have James Dolan. Like this is the next best thing. Uh, just it being relevant and having a superstar in his prime. That's just nice. We haven't had that in forever. Um, Rod, I really do appreciate it. This has been great. Um, what can we check out in the Advocate from you this week? Um, well, um, obviously we have the um, Pelicans playing um, Orlando on t- on Tuesday, and they play OKC on Thursday. And um, Coach Gentry said it today that, you know, A.D. Wood playing both of those games, which, um, you know, so they're, they're playing them. And so <laughs> I guess it's just being – I think right now I don't think people even care much about who wins these games. I think a lot of people just kind of curious of, you know, just how the fans are going to react and how A.D. is going to be in these, you know, while he's playing this, this stretch of the season out. So um, that that's the big thing right now, just, you know, how he plays and how the fans react to him and – and just how this team does, you know, with a guy that <laughs> says he doesn't want to be here, basically. <laughs> so. I just, I feel like the biggest storyline that I'm, and maybe this is a little morbid, is just if he gets injured. Like, can you just imagine what this would do? Like, the Pelicans, they have to play him, but they're going to get fined $100,000 per game, it turned out. And then, like, you you don't want it to play him, obviously, because if he does get hurt, like, if he tore his Achilles like Boogie, he's gone for next year. And then, like, who's, like, the right, trade I mean, value. Like, it's just... It's amazing how much is riding on Anthony Davis's health over the last month and a half of this season. Like, right. that is the thing. He's playing these games and hoping he survives. Right. Don't so, like, fans have to want him not to play in the fourth quarter. They should be cheering whenever he exits. Right. <laughs> They're like, okay, right. we made it another game. One more. Yeah, we'll <laughs> Just play, keep right. going. Right. Yeah, we're getting a step close to that. I think it's 25 games now or 26 left. So, yeah, you're just trying to – at this point, you just want to survive those twenty-six games and get this over with. Oh my God! What a great, what a great situation! What a, I'm sure Adam Silver <laughs> must be thrilled about what's going on in New Orleans. What a, what a great thing, um, Rod. I really appreciate it. Uh, let's talk basketball again soon. All right. Thanks a lot, man.
All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by Felix Sicard of AnaheimCalling.com. Felix, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, Chase. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's a privilege. You you hit me with a yeah. I I really admire your your sales pitch for the pod because you you hit me with the invite and then just the list of people I've been on. I'm like, well, I can't I can't say no now. So. I'm going to give you some some props for for the professionalism there. That definitely worked on me. Okay, there you go. I don't think I've ever been complimenting on my sales pitch to having guests on. So there you go. <laughs> well, it worked. So congrats. They- <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's good. Uh, hey, I need that. You need that every net once in a while, especially on a really dreary Monday here in Atlanta. I don't know what it's like where you are, but it's it's currently raining outside my office window. But yeah. No, it's uh well, here it's it's sunny but it's colder, colder. It's still not like actually cold compared to the rest of the country. So I don't really want to. I was gonna say, the, aren't you in SoCal? Yes, I'm in Southern California, so I can't really. You don't get to do that. <laughs> I, I'm at the risk of alienating quite a few people by saying anything weather related. So I'd, I'd rather just back off that topic while I still have a chance. There you go. Um, we can alienate more people with what we're going to talk about, which is <laughs> Anaheim Ducks, who uh, have alienated their fan base by being bad at hockey this season. Um, what happened here? What happened to the Ducks to put them in this free fall? Like, I think as of right now, they have like 21 wins. It's just been a dumpster fire. They can't score goals. Um, it's it's just bad all across the board. They fired Carlisle, which we'll get into, but. Ultimately, I want to start with what happened to the Ducks this season from where they were a season ago to where they're at right now. Well, I mean, you can't really tell the story of this season without starting with the injuries. I mean, obviously, to start the year, this was a badly bruised team. Uh, you know, Ryan Kessler missing time. Patrick Eves still not really healthy. Gets laughs. Silverberg, Raquel, Fowler. You go down the list, and now Gibson added to that. You, you go down the list, and it's been really difficult for this team to find any footing early on. I mean, in the beginning of the season, you had a, an opening night roster that looked more like a preseason roster, and that's that's not to take anything away from guys like Troy Terry and Sam Steele, but it was just never – this season never got off to the right start, and when this team did get healthy – it actually had a pretty good winning streak, I believe, in late November, early December. And things just kind of snowballed from there, like you mentioned. I mean, it's it's interesting that as this team got healthier, it got worse. So I I started with the injury angle, but it, it doesn't seem like that's really what's ailing this team. I mean, they're the worst team in the league right now. They, If you look at all the numbers, scoring chances, shots, goals, they're at the bottom of everything. But really... It, it sucks to say this because John Gibson had such a fantastic start to the year, but when the really when things started falling off for the Ducks, it's when John Gibson kind of hit a wall. I mean, whether it's fatigue, whether it's just wear and tear, whatever it is, his game took a hard, hard left turn in about in about late December, and a really bad defensive team that's no longer getting saves. Uh, this is what you get. I mean, you, you get multiple, almost double-digit losing streaks, and now you get a coach fired. So that's unfortunately how we got here. Well, thankfully, John Gibson did not just get paid this offseason, so there's no <laughs> worry there long-term. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, look, he's it, – it's 
it's interesting because you can't totally write off the slump that he's in, but you also can't put too much stock into it. I mean, he's 25 years old. And realistically, I think that if you put him behind a normal hockey team, just a normally bad team, not even an epically historically <laughs> bad team, I don't think we see this kind of crash and burn effect. But again, we'll, we'll have yeah. to see because his, his massive extension kicks in next season. And I don't know what this Ducks team will look like next year anyway, but it'll be interesting. So I had Stu Cohen on of the Montreal Gazette earlier tonight, and something I was thinking about as he was describing this Canadiens team and kind of Casey Price's resurgent season um, after what he had last year, it it seems like the Ducks season of this year was kind of like what happened to the Canadiens last year, <laughs> and this year the Ducks are just the free fall of what they were, and now the Canadiens are doing what the Ducks did last year, which is like they have a great goalie, they're just not, they don't have a superstar, they somehow find ways to win games they're like a game back of the maple leaves and you don't really understand why and then people talk themselves into hey you know they have they they have the goalie if he gets hot come playoff time this is going to work and they could maybe make a run for the cup and all this stuff and then the ducks got eliminated in the first round and um the canadians get matched up with the maple leaves in the first round they're probably gonna get eliminated and all that kind of stuff it was interesting just um thinking about all the different parallels between the two franchises am i crazy for putting those two teams together no not at all i mean I myself am a Canadians fan. And so I, I've thought about this a lot during the season where if you look at the, where the Canadians were at the start of last year, their roster didn't indicate that they would be as bad as they were, but for a a few different reasons, it just never worked out. Partially Carey Price being injured, Shea Weber. I mean, all these different things put together and it got them a really good player. And it's very Kotkaniemi. And now I think that they've embraced the retool They've changed some things about their roster, and now they're, at the very least, back to being a competitive team. And that's that's kind of where, what I see happening with this Ducks team. The difference is the Ducks have a lot more bad contracts than the Canadians do. The Canadians did a good job of, I guess, limiting the damage. I mean, Weber and Price are going to be there, but outside of that, they're they're really they don't have a lot of money tied up long term, and they they do have a lot of flexibility. That's the big difference between the two to me is that the Ducks are in a much more difficult, much more, I would say, tricky situation to navigate, especially when pretty much all of your big money guys have no move clauses. So there are definitely some parallels there. I don't think it's crazy at all to say, but I think it's going to be a bit trickier for the Ducks to get out of it than the Canadians. Oh, God. Do you know what? I think I've already thought of a different comparison for this team, and Ducks fans are not going to like this either. They might be like a watered down version of what the wed- the Red Wings are going through with Ken Holland and that group. Uh, the contracts. Uh, yeah, is that I, too much of a stretch or no? I mean, I think it's a bit of a stretch because I think Ryan Getzlaff is better than any of the guys they have locked up long term. That's fair. I think Corey yeah. Corey Perry. I mean, yes, he's making a lot of money, but he. I mean, he really only he only has two more years left on his deal after this year. The the one that's really, I think, that is Red Wings-esque is Ryan Kessler because he just can't play anymore, and that's a problem <laughs> because he has the most term left of those big money guys. God. Uh, <laughs> well. Sorry. It's not good. Um, do you think it was a good idea to fire Carlisle when they did? Um, well, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask because I've been saying for pretty much the entire season that I didn't see a point in firing him. I thought that 
ultimately the season was already cooked anyway. The roster had its flaws and just take a gap year and get a top pick and change coaches in the off season when his contract would end anyway. But I do think that at a certain point, the human cost of losing, not only losing all those games, but getting torched every game, showing absolutely no fight whatsoever. I think that it was time. I, I think that it was, pr- it was probably time after they got swept by the Sharks. But for whatever mm-hmm. reason, Bob Murray decided to give him another chance. And here we are. I mean, the Ducks now, if you kind of track where they started when they fired Bruce Boudreau to now, they brought back Carlisle to kind of get them over that final hump where Bruce Boudreau, the notoriously inept in game sevens, make of that what you will. But since that time, the Ducks did get to the, the Western Conference final in, in Carlisle's first year. That, that famous series against the Oilers with the, the, the comeback games and the overtime games. And then, I mean, since then, not a whole lot to write home about. You, you have first-round exits, and, or you have the first-round exit, and now you have a, a season where they're not even going to make it. So they, were, they went from... Hey, hold on. There's oh, a lot of season left. Let's, there's a lot of season left. Let's not write off the docks uh, in the season <laughs> are, run just are, yet. Are, are, we, are, we, are we still doing that? Well, look, okay, so... <laughs> it, it, it looks unlikely that they will make the playoffs. But the thing I will say is that they went from being a team that was really on the precipice or that was at least consistently in it to now just slowly withering all the way down. And I don't think it's because, you know, people are trying to make the argument that the, it's because the top guys got older. I, I think it's the supporting cast that's slowly been eroded. I mean, this season, the Ducks brought in guys like Brian Gibbons and Carter Rowney to play this new speed game. And I mean, you, you see how it's worked out for them. Yeah. See, my conspiracy theory here is <laughs> that Bob Murray knew how this season would go based on how last season ended with the roster he had. Mm-hmm. I think I remember reading Anaheim calling this off season, which is like, the, <laughs> right. And not even just that, but more of like, when they were talking about changing their style and kind of they were, we're going to change the pace or scheme and it's going to be Carlisle's going to adjust basically. Right. Like he was going to be someone that was, they were going to play differently. They were going to learn from their mistakes and it was like, well, they don't really have the roster for it and banking on Carlisle to do that doesn't seem likely in the way they're building their team. You don't pay John Gibson if you're planning to build, like there was just so many different like signs of like, I, this just doesn't add up. And then Carlisle gets fired and you're like, okay, I I just think that is something he always knew in the back of his mind. And it was just one of those things that GMs say in the offseason. Like, we're going to change. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then the season comes around and none of that happens. And it's all just awful. And this is who we thought they were, which was a team that was going to struggle to score. And they were going to put too much on Gibson. And then obviously Gibson's imploded kind of. And now they're the worst team in hockey. So I, I just, I think Bob Murray knew. That, that's my conspiracy, and I think he knew that Carlisle was going to be the fall guy for right now, and he went to ensure that they get that uh, number one overall pick, which I'm fine with. Right. I mean, if you insert a, a top you know, franchise-changing guy like Jack Hughes or Capo Calco in, into this lineup, all of a sudden the outlook changes. I do think that they – I don't know if they necessarily knew this year was going to be the way it was, but I do think it was kind of a kind of a punt year, right, where – they re- they knew i mean they even said explicitly during the offseason that we're not really a Stanley Cup team right now 
And I think the point of this year was to transition away from the team that they were into the team that they hope to be. And I think part of the letdown this year is that none of the young guys really ended up making the big leap. Now, was it fair to expect that of them? Probably not. But Troy Terry struggled pretty badly in his first stint in Anaheim. Sam Steele didn't show a whole lot, although he's had a, a good turnaround in San Diego, as has Terry. Contois was impressive early on. Now he's back in junior. Lindstrom, 18-year-old, showed a little bit, but he's also back in Sweden. So I think that was also part of what they were banking on, is that we're going to play a little faster. Hopefully some young guys make the jump, and this is all just going to work out. They also brought up a guy, an assistant coach in Marty Wolford, who's handling the D, who was handling the defense in San Diego. San Diego, by the way, hasn't been the stalwart defensive team in the HL the last couple of years, and all of a sudden he was going to be the guy to partially lead this renaissance. I agree with you that it just it never felt like a serious attempt to actually turn the leaf over. And now here we are. <laughs> now he's coaching. Maybe he just wanted the job for himself. <laughs> I do think it's hilarious that they put out that picture of, of him, you know, kind of getting his work boots on and he's got the cap on and the <laughs> stick. And look at Bob Murray handling the situation like a man. He's the captain who goes down with his ship. And I, I honestly think that was part of it. But, you know, I actually kind of respect it. The, the guy is going to get in there, get in the trenches. If they lose, he'll be a part of it. And at the very least, he can't say that he's not familiar with his team when it's all said and done. So let's look, let's look into the crystal ball. Four years from now, three years from now, does this John Gibson contract still, or maybe not even still, is it, is it an albatross contract or do you see things shifting um, in the next couple of years? I, I don't see it becoming an albatross. A lot of it is obviously dependent on his health status. If he can maintain, I mean, just mostly injury-free seasons. He, you know, the injuries, I think the, the, the rap against him has been a little unfair. If you look at some of the injuries, especially last season, where a lot of them were just guys running into him. I mean, you can't really do anything about that. But to answer your question, I... I'm going to say no for now. I don't think it's going to become an albatross. Keep in mind, I think that he's probably getting paid less than what he's actually worth, but I think the injury scare brought down that total number. And then also keep in mind that the cap will continue to rise. There's going to be new money coming in, gambling money, Seattle money. Um, and so I think that it's not going to be this awful contract. That being said, I this is probably my most unpopular opinion amongst Ducks fans is that I don't know why this team would be completely closed off to trading John Gibson. I mean, if, for example, a Colorado avalanche, let's say they, they dangled their cause they have the senators pick this year and they're going to have their own first round pick. If you can trade a John Gibson for that, a top three pick and you can kind of work the details around that. I just, I think the ducks should be open to any, pretty much any trade possible. I don't think there's anyone on this roster who you can just say is a complete untouchable because if you can trade it, like you mentioned, if you can trade a, a guy where there's some risk in his contract as a goaltender for a building block blue chip prospect, I think you have to at least consider the possibility. So two things there. One, um, I, I don't think we should rule out uh, Gibson for McKinnon. Uh, I think Colorado might listen there. Ooh. Never know. Uh, <laughs> okay. Who I, says no? I'm, I'm, who says I'm, no? I'm here for uh, this. <laughs> I think every Ducks fan is here for that. Um, 
I also don't want to do business with Colorado. Like, I think if right. you're Bob Murray, you're like, if you're going to do this, this was my biggest thing is when people are like, oh, I want to call like so-and-so. Like, that's the biggest thing with Anthony Davis. I don't know if you're an NBA guy, but like right. the, the thing that I'd be worried about if I was a Pelicans fan of doing the best deal with Boston is that Danny Ainge doesn't lose trades. And right. they may have the best deal right now, but it, there's just something about doing business with a good GM that should make you uneasy. And right. if you're already uncertain about what kind of GM Bob Murray is long-term, I don't want him calling good teams. I want him calling Edmonton. That is the guy I'm calling. Like, go after a desperate franchi- franchise. Call Ottawa. Like, what? It, what is it going um, well, to take? Do we need to get John Gibson in? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's see what happens there. That's who you call. You don't call the good ones. You never call the good ones. You. That's your last ditch option. Where it's like best case scenario, we both win the trade. Right. But those are pretty rare. So no, I'm calling Ottawa. I'm like John Gibson. I need you to get into some personal life strife. I need you to get into some kerfuffles so Ottawa uh, perks their ears up a little bit and uh, you can become a senator. That's what you're looking for. Get in an Uber video. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that being said, though, you do have to per- pursue the best offer. And even though I would like to draw the NBA comparison, even though I would rather not trade with Danny Ainge, I still think I would rather have Tatum over pretty much any of the Laker guys. And I don't know. If but that's... then you have to think about like if he's willing to part with Tatum, you're like, oh god, do we do we guess wrong? Because remember, like the Markel stuff is like oh. they traded up for Markel, and the Boston was always going to take Markel Fultz, and they're like, there's something happened where they're like, nope, we're right. not doing this, and they that's trade true. down and they take Tatum. That's so true. I just, but I don't think that deal I, is going to happen yeah. without Tatum though, because true. I mean, who, I agree. who else would who else would you want if you're the Pelicans? Anyway, this turned into an NBA podcast. I'm actually a big, big well, no, NBA I think it, guy. It, so it's I'm across all it. sports. This, mm-hmm. yeah, this works. I just think it, it, it. This is a sports thing, and this is a pro right. sports thing, and this is right. something you have to you have to think about if you're a fan of the Ducks right now. You have to think about what is Bob Murray's future with this team. Do we want him to be the GM? Do you want him being the guy right. to lead this rebuild? And well, he, there are serious he, questions. He, there. He's gonna be. <laughs> I mean, the, the. I mean, he's gonna be, but it's right. like if you're a fan, do you want him to be? Do you believe that he can get this team to where they need to be or where they were a couple years ago? And there's just so many interesting questions you have to constantly think about um especially when you're in like this whirlwind where you're like oh we were better than we thought we were going to be last year and then it's like oh we're the worst team in the league and Mm -hmm. then it's like well maybe we can get back to average next year and it's it's really hard to get a read on where this team is going just because the ebbs and flows have just been so chaotic over the last year and a half you just really don't know where this team is going and who's going to be what and um they're just like this offseason was just throwing shit at the wall and hoping a lot of it stuck and a lot of it did not and that right. sucks um i don't know it's it's all very fascinating but do you i guess my biggest thing that i think about is like do you think there is a way I, maybe this is this cannot be answered until they get a new coach but do you think this offense can be fixed can is there some a, an easy fix or does it require just an injection of more offensive talent or wh- what do you think they have to do to kind of um expedite this offensive anemia right well i mean that that is the biggest question facing them because real i mean they are the worst defensive team in the league so it's kind of a hard position to take right now but I don't think this blue line is necessarily as bad as the way that they, as how they played this year. I, think, I agree. I think that there are guys that are not part of the solution. I think that Camp Fowler, I mean, you want to talk about contracts that don't look great right now. He's a guy I would consider trading. I'm really open to trading any of those guys except maybe Lindholm, but I think you can, you can cobble together a, a functional 
blue line with the guys you have. And if you, but the thing is, they don't really have a path right now to this big offensive upgrade. And it's going to take some difficult decisions. And I, I think that the way you do it is trading some guys who have been around for a while, or, I mean, Cam, I think Cam Fowler is going to be a guy who is, I think there's a good chance he gets traded. I think Jakob Silverberg, I know they say they want to resign him. I don't know if I necessarily believe it, um, but he's another guy who, if you can flip him for a pick and a prospect, I think you really have to think about it, especially considering that Brian Boyle just got a second round pick. Um, I mean, I don't know what people think about Brian Boyle, but I don't know if he's worth that. Adam Henrique is another mm. guy who, you know, he's 29. They locked him up to a, you know, four year or sorry, a five year extension that starts after this year. Um, he hasn't really shown much of anything this year. Can he be part of, I, I guess, a depth role when it's all said and done? Maybe, but he won't be any good the next time this team is, is truly competitive. So I think that they're going to have to make some really cold blooded decisions. I, I think another major one is buying out Ryan Kessler because even though the cap savings aren't that high, I just think he's a total zero on this roster at this point. And the way that they're going to, and the way that they're going to get better, it's of course, part of it is going to be through the draft, but the other, and this is something that Bob Murray was doing early on in the season that he's gone away from a little bit. is just taking gambles on guys, bring in a Daniel Sprung, right? This depreciated asset of another, that another team doesn't want and just bring him in and see what happens. Worst case, you flip him or you get rid of him, whatever. Pontus Saberg, it was the same thing. They they picked him up off waivers, and he gave them a few goals, and then they ended up trading him for a minor leaguer. But the point being, you keep taking these risks and rolling the, the, the dice on guys until you find something that sticks, all the while hopefully some of the youngsters come up. So really, I think you hit the nail on the head that the biggest thing that they're going to have to fix is the forward group because blue line – there's some quality there. And then obviously John Gibson and net, it's really just that forward group that needs some serious surgery. And I don't know, I, it's going to be interesting. I do think there's going to be some quote unquote household names that are going to be moved out by, I don't know, a year from now, let's put it that way. So do you think they're just kind of screwed in contract <laughs> hell, or do you think this is something that Bob Murray will be able to finagle his way out of? I think that, I think he'll be able to get out of it. I mean, look, worst case here, Worst, worst case scenario, Perry and Getzlaff, everyone talks about those contracts as albatross contracts, but there's only two years left on those deals and they expire when the next time, when the new CBA will come around. Kessler, if you keep him around until then, there's probably going to be a compliance buyout that you can go to. And then outside of those guys, I mean, really the only guys that are committed to long-term <clears throat> are Adam Henrique, Cam Fowler, and John Gibson. So that's not a terrible position to be in. I just think that there's probably going to have to be one more year of it's not going to be as bad as this year, but another year of, okay, we're probably not a playoff team before they can can get back into it. I don't think it's going to be this long Arizona Buffalo style rebuild. Is there anything for Anaheim fans to get excited about on this team right now? I mean, uh, embrace the tank. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) I mean, look, I honestly, as a Canadians fan who endured last season, having a guy like Kotkaniemi to cheer for night in and night out, it's, it's pretty nice. And it's a guy that you can say they can truly build around. And I think right now, the biggest thing that, that you can cheer for as a Ducks fan is that, look, 
the, at least the wheels are somewhat in motion now. Carlisle is gone. And outside of that, I do think they're taking a hard look at this roster. Change is coming. And things will things can turn around really quickly in the NHL. And you don't always need to be a favorite going into any year to win it. Look at Washington last year, right? You just need to be good enough, catch the right breaks in the playoffs, and then maybe all of a sudden you find yourself in a conference final. So I I think that there, this is – it's hard right now, but I don't think this is going to be this long playoff list drought. I, I think that they're probably – a season or two at most from away from back to being a legit contender again. Well, at least they'll stay on brand uh, <laughs> just being as mercurial as humanly possible. I think that's the thing is Anaheim <laughs> has to stay mercurial no matter what that's, that's their DNA. Absolutely. Um, is there a system that you look at with this team that you think that they should be playing that they haven't played? Is there any kind of schematic <sighs> adjustments you would make? Yeah, I mean, that's been the, the question all season long is how has the system changed? Are they actually doing anything different? And I don't really buy it. I think that they look largely the same. I think that they were trying some stuff early on in the season. But really, the system should just be get more good players on your team. I think usually... usually <laughs> Bull strategy, Cotton. Yeah, I mean, crazy thought. But usually the teams with more good players are you know lauded for their better systems and this and that. So that's, that's my strategy is get talent on this. The jury's team. still out on Toronto, man. I don't know. <laughs> John Tavares and, uh, Matthews and well, everybody, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still waiting. It's a wait and see thing for them. I think. Yeah. I mean, they're certainly putting all their eggs in, in one basket, but I mean, I applaud it. You, you have to go for it when you have those guys. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, style in hockey is a little overrated because most teams generally play the same way. It's not like the NFL or the NBA where you can point to plays being run and really isolate them, whereas hockey, it's all in a flow game. So really, it's just adhering to different principles. I do think that there are some teams that play faster, but they also have the guys to execute it. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. A lot of this also depends on who will be the next coach and how, what is his philosophy? What, what can you do with this lineup? I don't think that this team was built to play a, a speed skill game that you have to have the right bodies to execute the vision that you have as well. Do you think they go with the first time coach next or a veteran coach that um, they feel like can get them back in the playoffs sooner rather than later? I mean, it certainly feels like Dallas Akins has the, the inner track here. I don't know if it's going to happen. My, my podcast co-host Jake certainly has all of his fingers crossed for it. <laughs> but I, I think that with, with Aikens, look, the, the track record is there in San Diego. I think that they're happy with the work he's done grooming some of those youngsters. And in a season where realistically they're not trying to be great and they're trying to transition away from some of those old habits I think that he is a pretty logical candidate. And also, with the first-year head coach, you're also really moving back the expectations. All of a sudden, I mean, they're coming off a, a season where they're probably not going to make the playoffs. A rookie coach, or I guess not necessarily a rookie, but hasn't coached in a few years. Um, there's going to be no expectations for this team, and I think that that may also factor into it. If you, if you bring in a Joel Quenville or really any big, bigger-name head coach, there's going to be expectations. And I think that this team, this front office, is probably going to want to set those back a little bit for the next year. 
Okay. Um, last two things. Do you think this front office and ownership group needs an overhaul? Because it does seem like there is a little um, disconnect between ownership and the way they've handled things the last couple of years and the front office and just um, mm-hmm. yeah. the way they've spoken to fans and all that kind of stuff. Do you think there needs to be a, a, a full overhaul and ownership becoming more transparent for things to get right? Or do you think that's not necessarily something that will impede them from future success? Well, I mean, now they, they had the big PR splash of the, the open letter to season take holders, which they also put out to everyone else. And, I think that they recognize that that is a it's a it's a new aspect of the fan experience in the 21st century where even 10 10 years ago all you really did when you were consuming sports was you watch the games, you read articles, that's about it. Now, being a sports fan is a 20 24/7 experience where you're constantly being exposed to this team. You, the team is basically constantly demanding your attention. And so you can't just operate in the dark. You can't leave your fans clueless as to what you're doing. And I think that they are recognizing that you need to let your fans know what's going on. It's becoming a trend all over the NHL and I'm assuming in other sports as well. So I, I think that that aspect there, they've, they've learned from their mistakes a little bit, but as far as the ownership or sorry, the, the management group, I think that they've got, they've gotten a lot of things wrong. I mean, if you look at the contracts, for example, I mean, it's the easiest place to start they get a lot of credit for nailing the RFA contracts, right? They talk about what a great deal Ricard McCall is on. What a great deal Hampus Lindholm is on. What a great deal even a guy like Nick Ritchie is on. Well, yeah, that's great. But when you're negotiating with a restricted free agent, the team has all of the leverage and they have all of the negotiating power. I mean, not all of it, but the player really has, doesn't have much recourse. So I'm not going to give them that, that high of a mark for that. If you look at their UFA contracts, those are the ones that really stink up the place. I mean, Cam Fowler, an eight-year deal for 6.5, I, I guess the market would have paid that, but with a modified no-trade clause, and then obviously Perry Getzlaff, those are deals that probably get signed no matter what at that point in time. But then Adam Henrique, what was the need to extend Adam Henrique five more years at that number to be basically your de facto third-line, second-line center? Uh, it's, it's those type of things that leave you, leave you scratching your head a little bit. And then that's to say nothing of the expansion draft where they basically botched the entire thing. They refused to ask Kevin Bieksa to wave his no move. They end up losing Shea Theodore for basically nothing. Some Ducks fans will argue that, yes, that at least they got to shed Clayton Stoner's contract. I don't buy it personally. Shea Theodore would look really good on this team right now. Um, and so there's a lot of things to be critical of for this team. Luckily for the management group, the retool is usually a little easier than actually building it back up. So they get a free pass for the next couple of years, but look, they're, they're on, they're on borrowed time. If, if they can't turn this thing around and get this team back to being a playoff team within the next three years, basically the duration of Bomberry's contract, I don't think he gets extended because at a certain point it has to fall on the GM and he's been around for a while now. They've had success. He's bought himself a few years, but Things are going to get interesting in the next few months here in Anaheim. Yeah, and Samueli has, um, I don't know, he's hes a billionaire. He has $3.8 billion. I think <laughs> what he bought the team for um, from Disney, what was it? It was like $75 million. Now they're worth like 415 Right. Like it's, uh, it's 
it's been a good uh, investment for him. And he's the first, he was the owner of the first uh, California team to win a Stanley Cup in the NHL. And mm-hmm. there's just so many different things where he's probably got carte blanche for a long time. Oh, yeah. Um, but Bob Murray is the one that probably needs to get a little bit nervous about where things are going long term because um, stepping in and just being the coach down the stretch and then <laughs> having to make the next ho- coaching higher, it, it does seem like that's the last resort. Um, so if you had to guess, it's the last thing and then we'll go. Um, if uh, the Ducks can pick anyone they want, let's say they get number one overall in the upcoming draft, who do you think they should take and why? Well, the consensus seems to be Jack Hughes. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push back against that. I don't think I'm qualified, but of course there are some great names down the list. Kako was so impressive at the World Juniors for Team Finland, but I think that with Hughes, really, what the selling point for Anaheim fans is that he's a center, and this is a team that needs a replacement for Ryan Getzlaff in the worst way. I mean, they really. You can say all you want about the, the prospects they have in their system. They don't have that blue chipper that's the next in line to be the face of the franchise or to even be a first-line guy. I mean, Troy Terry, there's a lot of hype around him, and I think he's going to be a good player, but I don't know if he'll necessarily be a true first-line guy. With Jack Hughes, you have an opportunity to obtain a first-line center, a franchise player. I don't know how good he'll be compared to guys like Matthews, McDavid, but he is of that ilk. And so I, that would be my pick. I mean, first over, if you have the first overall pick, you don't want to overthink it. That, that, that's my rule of thumb. If, everyone, yeah. if everyone's been saying the same guy for the last two years, probably just pick that guy, you know, and, 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 pick, and you can overthink it later on. And that's why I'm actually a big proponent for Anaheim at this upcoming trade deadline to flip guys for first round picks, even if they're later first rounders. Um, you know, for example, if they trade Henrik to Winnipeg and they get Winnipeg's first, which is probably going to be a 20th pick or late twenties, same with Silverberg, you have the opportunity to go safe early on with your, with, with your lottery pick. And then you can swing for the fences a little bit more later uh, in the first round. And you give yourself more bites at the apple, more opportunities to, to win big. So yeah, Hughes would be my pick first overall, but I do think that they need to get some more picks for this first round because it's supposed to be a pretty good draft. My biggest concern uh, with Jack Hughes is he looks eight years old. Yeah, um, yeah, he and, does. <laughs> uh, like, uh, he's maybe 5'5". Um, the jury's still out. I um, Every picture I've looked at it, I'm like, is he getting younger? Um, he looks like uh, Banks, uh, Adam Banks in My Ducks 1. Um, and he is getting ready to be the number one overall pick in the draft. A little concerning. Uh, but well, Glenn Hughes, probably, probably going to be pretty mean, good in Vancouver. Yeah. If he turns into Johnny Gaudreau, I don't think anyone's going to complain. So... I, yeah, I mean, sure. and Johnny Gaudreau certainly doesn't look very old either, and he's turned out okay. So I, I wouldn't be too worried about that. Okay, I mean, I don't know. I just <laughs> I'd like for him to look sixteen when he gets drafted. At least sixteen. <laughs> that would be nice. Oh uh, yes, that's true. God, he was born in two thousand one. Yeah. Good God. It's depressing. We're getting old, or yeah. I feel like I'm getting old. It's, it's really There's depressing. Two thousand and one kid in yeah. the NHL. That's. I don't like it. I don't. I don't like it, man. Yeah. It, it, All right. Uh, the, well, the times are changing. <laughs> God. All right. We're old. Um, that's not how I expected it in this podcast. Um, but that's where we're at. So Jack Hughes. Um, go ahead and pencil it in, Ducks fans. That is who is going to be roaming the center. 
for the Anaheim Mighty Ducks for the next 15 years. And in those 15 years, he might look of drinking age at some point during <laughs> that. So we'll, we'll see. Um, we'll see. But anyway, Felix, thank you so much uh, for taking the time tonight. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And uh, if you ever want to talk basketball, I'm, I'm here as well. I, w- I will be honest, I'm an extremely biased Warriors fan. So I don't know how that will go over. Okay. No, it's good. It's fine. Um, I'm always down to talk basketball. Um, is there anything we need to check out on AnaheimCalling.com this week? Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I mean, the, the best place to find me, that's the Anaheim Calling Podcast. If you just search Anaheim Ducks on Apple Podcasts, we do a show after each and every Ducks game, uh, breaking down the game, the latest news. And sometimes we have to do an emergency pod like we did on Sunday uh, in light of the Carlisle firing. We also... Uh, have bonus episodes. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash acpod. So if you enjoy that show for $5 a month, you can also get two extra episodes where we go deep into different topics. We're actually recording an episode tonight. So if you're looking for Ducks coverage, if you're a Ducks fan or just someone who's curious about the team, I would say Anaheim Calling Podcast is the best way to find it. I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. That's where I tweet out the podcast. So definitely check that out if, uh, if you're hungry for some Ducks content. Oh, we're all hungry for some Ducks content, Felix. (laughs) (laughs) All Ducks all the time. Felix, thank you so much, and uh, I will talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, Remember, you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support, and we'll be back another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.